0: To, to be with you and thank you to those who came uh, Sunday evening last week. I think we had a really good profitable conversation um, with uh, just the informal Q&A that, w- that we had. So, Hey kiddos, you are dismissed. Oh, you are sent. I've always wanted to say that every time I'm at Antioch. So that <laughs> you are sent. Another small fun fact about me: I, I've been a i have been was a pastor for 25 years. I was the pastor of uh, Auburndale Baptist Church for 17 years. It's just two blocks that way, and uh, I was so I, I transitioned from there three years ago to lead Practical Shepherding full time. But I actually preached in, up here for the first time about 20 years ago when I came to Auburndale. I was invited to the community to preach at the community service that took place for. For uh, many years uh, back then, and I got to preach here, first time I was in the building here, so long history, is so I was excited to hear about when, when Antioch came here and was a part uh, of New Heights and how all that went, so I was grateful to see how the Lord's been at work in this place in particular for all these years, including now, so it's been a real privilege to get to work with Brad, to get to work with Jason, the other pastors here For several years, Uh, I consider them friends. Uh, I got to know them well enough and even got a peek behind the curtain working with the pastors to see the Lord is indeed at work in this place. And as you all go through this transition, uh, we also trust that God just continues to be at work. And and that I wanted to bring a word today from the Lord that might be a help to you as you begin to, to process maybe the grief of transition, but also looking forward. And this Sunday seemed to be a good day to try to, to focus on that. So if you have your Bible, you turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, uh, for the reading of God's Word. You yeah, on the screen? Okay. This is the Word of the Lord. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The Lord has spoken to us. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me take a moment and just ask God to help us as we open his word together. Lord, I stand here grateful for this faithful church, the faithful leaders and the people who are here. Lord, thank you for not just your evidence of grace in Mona's life, but so many evidences of grace for many years in this church. So Lord, I ask that you would come in the power of your spirit and open our eyes to see and understand your word today, that it would change us and would help us to know even how to more faithfully follow our Savior Jesus, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I work with pastors all over the world, and oftentimes I'll get asked to, to preach at an ordination service or something along these lines, even helping churches with some of the things that have been happening at Antioch here. And one of the things that I like to do is go to this one verse that we've just read. Because in one verse, it really shows the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit in God's Word. That there could be so much just found in one verse that teaches us about how to function in our lives, how to function in the church, how to faithfully follow Jesus in the local church. We we find all that here. I, I actually preached this one verse at a church one time. And I had a 50-year-old woman who came up to me after the service, and she said this to me. She says, I've, I've been in church most of my life, and no one has ever explained to me the relationship between a pastor and the congregation. And so I found that I should never assume that we all understand what that is. And I felt like that might be a helpful thing for us to consider. What is God's design for any local church and the pastors that lead it? And what's wonderful about God's Word is that it cuts through any confusion that might come from different countries, cultures, and contexts, that God's Word teaches us that the design of the local church is the same throughout the world, throughout the ages, and that hasn't changed at all for Antioch as well. And so that's what I'd like for us to be able to look at in this one verse that has so much in it. Before we go there, a little bit of context, since we're jumping into the book of Hebrews. We... The writer of Hebrews, not exactly sure who the writer of Hebrews was, but we do know who the recipients of this letter, they were Christians who were facing persecution because of their faith. They, they were suffering, and they were discouraged because of their persecution that they were facing for being followers of Jesus. And they were asking themselves the question, is this really worth it? Is it really worth following Jesus for what we are facing? So they were tempted to go back to their old life of Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews writes them trying to persuade them to, you know, to persevere in your faith in Jesus. So he spends this, the, most of this glorious letter, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, and he, and he exalts the supremacy and the glory of Jesus and who Jesus is and why Jesus is worth following. Why giving up everything is worth following Jesus, which is, by the way, true for us today. That's why this is a, a relevant letter for us. But what's interesting the writer does is as he gets to the end of this letter, which is where we are, really at the very end of the letter in the verse that we read, we find another aspect that he brings to the table on how to help these Christians persevere in their faith in Jesus. And one of the things he says to them is, look to those who lead you. Apparently, part of God's design is that there are certain kinds of leaders to exist in every local church and those leaders lead in a certain way that can help all Christians be able to persevere in their faith in Jesus so that's where we come to this this bit of it may feel like random instructions in this last chapter but they are not these instructions are to point to persevering in their faith in Jesus and and that's the same even for us today so that's what I'd like for us to look at if we look at Chapter 13, verse 17 that we just had read. The first big question that might leap out in your mind is who are the leaders? It just says, it just says leaders there. Who are the leaders? So I, I want to be able to try to define that for us because there's a lot of different kinds of leaders in the church. Who are the leaders he's talking about here in particular that have this role? Well, let's first look at verse 7. Look, 10 verses back. And you will find verse 7. Let me read that, just read that for you. These same leaders are identified there. Verse 7, so chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. <clears throat> Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's who the leaders are. Verse, that is now pointing to verse 17. It's those who led you, spoke the word of God to you, and it was also to live their faith in such a way that you can imitate it. And that's identifying pastors. Here's another bit to this. If you look at 1 Peter, let's first look back at verse 17. Look back at verse 17, what we read. I want you to notice an important observation to make here. Obey your leaders. Plural. There's more than one. And we see that consistent all through the New Testament especially in regard to the role of of pastors and deacons as the two offices of, of the New Testament in 1 Timothy 3. There's another passage, though, that points to these leaders, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says that who are they to give an account to? Did you notice that in verse 17? It says they give an account for souls. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that they'll give an account to the chief shepherd. So pastors are merely under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. and 1 Peter 5, verse 4, points to the fact that they will give an account not ultimately to a a church or a a group, it's the chief shepherd that they are serving the church for. So who are the leaders in verse 17? The leaders are pastors. The role and office of a pastor. And we can say, pastors because it's plural there in verse 17. One other observation to make is that there's some kind, look at verse 17 again, there's some kind of authority that the pastors have. We get nervous talking about authority in the church, don't we? But it's right there. And not only is there authority of some kind built in, by the way, I'm a Baptist and I'm a Congregationalist, so I I believe that the congregation has has authority and decision-making, all those kinds of things. But But there's still something here about these leaders that have authority for the sake of them doing what God has called them to do. So there's authority built in to some degree in verse 17. So these leaders are the pastors. And So what I want us to look at this verse and consider for a few moments is what is the relationship between pastors and a congregation of a local church. I believe this design is captured actually in this one verse, and applies to this church, as well as every other church around the world. So the three areas I want to look at are the roles, the results, and the relationships. The roles, results, and relationships. The key areas, I believe, of both pastor and people to understand what is God's design for each of you in this particular relationship. Okay, so let's first look at the the roles that both sides play. And that's what I want to do with each of these key areas. What's the pastor's role? What's the congregation's role that comes out of this this one verse? Well, let's first look at the role of the pastor in verse 17. Take your eyes to verse 17 again. Notice the role of a pastor is actually implied through the instruction to the people. Remember, he's writing to discouraged, struggling Christians who are trying to persevere in their faith. So he's writing directly to them. But in the amazing way that the Holy Spirit works through God's word, he also gives other insights around even what the role of a pastor is. And that is the pastors keep watch over souls. That, that is the role of a pastor. I want to emphasize that because I found in our modern day there's so much confusion around what's the role of a pastor, what's he supposed to do? The first three and a half years as the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church, I cleaned the bathrooms. I didn't recognize that on my job description, by the way, but the congregation was all elderly at that time, 70s, 80s, 90s. No one was physically able to clean the bathrooms, so guess who got to do it? I had a phobia about bathrooms, too, at the time, which worked itself out easily through that, but different conversation. The point is, that was not on my job description. A lot of other things were So, how, how do we know what we're supposed to do as pastors? It tells us here ultimately: the call of a pastor is to care for souls. To care for souls in such a way that we will give an account to the chief shepherd, who is Jesus. That's what a pastor's to do. And it doesn't matter if it's a a lead pastor who is whose full time role is is that or. Or lay pastors who aren't paid at all, but still take that responsibility and and burden on them. The call is to care for souls. That's the role of a pastor. Let that clarity cut through any confusion that I think many of us have had through the years. But what's the role of the congregation from this verse? Well, if the role of the pastor is that, then the congregation's role is it's the command and the instruction to the Christians. It says obey and submit we get nervous about language like that but again it's it's supposed to be a give and take what's important about seeing the roles results and relationships of this passage is that both sides have to do what they're called to do or it doesn't work and probably many of us through the years depending on the churches you've been a part of have seen when this doesn't work when one side maybe doesn't do something or the other side doesn't play their role but, but it says it says obey. And submit. In other words, those words mean to follow. They mean to follow. The role of the congregation is to follow your leaders, to follow the pastors as they lead, feeling this burden to care for your souls as they do so. And there are many pastors who have experienced what it's like to do their part and the congregation doesn't do their part. And a lot of congregations have experienced when they do their part and the pastor doesn't do their part. I work with a few thousand pastors around the world every year, and those stats that Jason shared are there because oftentimes this design gets circumvented in a very broken, dysfunctional way, and it's hard for anybody to be able to last through. That's why it's crucial that each each group, the pastors and the congregation, play this role. So that's the roles. Now the results. Go to number two, the results. What is the results of this design? Well, the results are in this verse also. And they're to bring blessing if done well, and they bring heartache if they're not. So the results for the pastor, notice in verse 17 with me, look down there. The result is joy. Verse, the second part, let them do this with joy and not with joy groaning for that would be of no advantage to you the result for the pastor in this design is joy let them do this with joy talking about the leaders or grief it's oftentimes the joy comes when both sides do what they're called to do that's why he's giving deliberate instruction and he says to not grieve them as they do this work that's the results for the pastor it's either joy or it's grief. What's the congregation and their result? It's a benefit. It's a benefit to you. It it comes through the joy of a pastor doing his role is good for you as a church. Likewise, there's no benefit to you if the pastor's grieved in the work that he does. And I want to just say I'm I'm grateful for the, the years I've known this church and the, the stories I hear, the things happening here, uh, I believe a, a lot of the flourishing that I believe has happened in this church over the years is and the joy really that's come is because of this relationship that you all have had and both sides have taken that seriously. And there's blessing that comes to a church when we follow God's design in this way. I think it's one of the ways to explain why God has blessed Antioch through the years. Pastors have played their role, not perfectly, but they have been faithful in the role, in my estimation, in knowing them and watching them in their role, and that you have been faithful as a congregation in your role in following them. So there's a lot of joy, but mark my words, it's not that way everywhere. And there's a lot of grief and heartache in a lot of churches all around the world because something's broke in the midst of this design in a church. I think it's a very helpful way from a spiritual standpoint. How do you make sense of why is this church struggling? Why do you hear the crazy stories going on of churches and and all that happens in them that's very difficult? There's results to this design and it's benefit to everyone involved. There's joy to everyone involved. The third key area is relationships. And this is a really important area to see. It's kind of got a deeper layer to this verse, but I'm convinced it's here because whether it's your, your marriage or your parenting or friendships, whatever it is, the most meaningful relationships in our lives come from human connection with others. There's a trust, there's a, a loyalty, there's a safety that, that comes with these relationships, and those are the ones that mean the most. Just take a moment, think about the relationships that mean the most to you in your life. Aren't they all marked by that? There's a, there's a mutual love. There's a respect that exists between you. So what is the relationship to be between pastor and congregation? There's supposed to be that same level of love and trust and respect for this to work. This is a relationship. Please hear me. The relationship between a pastor's and the congregation is not to be transactional. It's to be built on a relationship, a mutual love and trust that exists between both sides. And this is how we see it in the verse. Look down to verse 17 again for me. The relationship of the pastor, what's his, what's his role? He keep, he's keeping watch over souls. That's the command. That doesn't work, by the way, in any kind of transactional relationship. Pastors keeping watch over souls, that deep sacrificial love that has to exist in the pastor's heart to want to do this work, or it doesn't work. It doesn't do it. And that mutual love and respect, that keeping watch, that sacrificial love, it's communicated, spoken with the words to them, and it's, it's affirmed by the actions of the pastors. But what's the congregation's role in this relationship Well, remember the instruction here is, verse 17, pretty clear. Follow your pastors. You're not going to follow anyone unless you trust them. Unless you're convinced they love you like this. You will not bring them into your messy life if you don't think that they can handle it. And that they have a deep love for you. Isn't that the basis of safety in any relationship? I'm going to bring you into my messy world only if I believe you will love me in it and you can handle it. And there's way too many churches and pastors who have transactional relationships and you don't ever feel cared for. This is why the relationship side is so crucial. You have to believe as a congregation That they love you as pastors for you to entrust the care of your soul to them. love, trust, and safety must be present and this just doesn't happen. So that's the key areas. The roles, the results, the relationships. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time is draw out the implications of this for you. I've kind of worded them in the form of exhortation. So what are you to do with this? How, How do you make sense of what this looks like practically? I first want to Look at three exhortations to the pastors and future pastors who maybe are in this room. Some of you are thinking, hey, do I, I'm not going to be, ever be a pastor. Do I have to be in here for this? Well, actually, yes, because it's important for you to know how I'm exhorting them. It's an understanding of their role that helps you know what your role is. So three exhortations. Number one, pastors rejoice in the honor it is to care for souls and i'm telling you i was a pastor for 25 years one of the great privileges of my life to get to care for people's souls in whatever way i can to realize this is this is spiritual this is eternal work that pastors do we can get way caught up in the superficial and the temporal but but this is this is about eternity it's one of the reasons i loved so much being able to Go visit people in the hospital when they're sick. To be at someone's deathbed, as hard as that is, I loved being there. Because it reminded me that that's what God had called me to. And it's an honor and a privilege to get to be there. And that person to look to you, to, in a sense, escort them to their final days and to meet their Savior. So pastors, it's it's an honor to care for souls. If souls in this room let you, care for them. It's an honor and a privilege, so embrace that. Second exhortation. Realize the unspeakable grief that comes from caring for souls. Realize the unspeakable grief that comes with caring for souls. Number two, because we live in a fallen world, and there's just going to be grief. Sometimes it's grief because we as pastors mess up in trying to care for for souls Some, sometimes it's the other way around that's isn't that exactly what verse 17 is saying let them do this with joy and not grief, because that won't be any advantage to you and yet sometimes that happens but you know what grief also comes just because we're in a fallen world this world is not right this world is not what it's supposed to be and we have sadness in this world and so it's important we see joy and grief mentioned in verse 17 We kind of try to pit those things against each other. We kind of put them on, they're they're in opposition. But actually joy and grief go together really well. Which is why you need to rejoice in the honor of caring for souls, but then realize there is unspeakable grief. Let me just give you a quick glimpse into how this affects a pastor. So if if a pastor, if someone in the church, a beloved church member dies in the church, Suddenly, this happened to me five years into my ministry. A beloved deacon, my age, killed in a car crash. Five-year-old and a one-year-old and a wife left behind. And I found myself dealing with my own personal grief over that loss. My family was dealing with that loss. And then I had a whole church that was devastated by that loss. And according to this verse, I'm the one to go and care for people's souls in the midst of all of that. So as a pastor, it's a unique it's a joyful burden, but a unique burden. And it's there's unspeakable grief that comes with caring for souls. But those of us who are called to it, it is worth it. And it's what God calls us to, and it's what we love to be a part of. A third exhortation for the pastors is trust in the indescribable joy of caring for souls. That's the other side to it. Man, there were times as a pastor, I remember getting to be a part of someone's life, and I remember driving off. Usually tears in my eyes, and I would say to God, I can't believe you pay me to do this. So though there's unique burdens and griefs that come with being a pastor that do affect pastors, there is indescribable joys that come with it. And I have found, been doing this long enough to realize that there's, there's not a lot of middle ground. This is the call. There's deep grief. And they're soaring joys, and a lot of times that's where we live, and those two things can go together. So Brad, you, I know you experienced grief here, and you've experienced joy here. That's the it's supposed to have. That's the way it's supposed to go. Other pastors in the room, potential future pastors, this is the call. Prepare that you will experience deep grief, and you will experience soaring joy, And that's what God's design is for this call. But that's what you're stepping into. And that's okay. And for you to embrace that allows your church to then come to you and to be able to follow you as God commands. Which is where I want to turn now, just finally, the three exhortations to the church, to each of you. Three exhortations to the people that I think are implied in this verse. Number one, follow your pastors. Follow your pastors. Your pastors, I know all of them pretty well, and I can say this for certainty. You ready? They're not perfect. Probably already knew that. But I've gotten to know all of them. They are faithful men. I can say that. They're faithful men. They need Jesus just as much as you do, but they understand their call, and they want to seek to do it as well. As they're able to. So follow your pastors. Verse 17. They are faithful and God's design is to simply follow them. And for men who who take this call to care for souls seriously. It's a joy. It's a joy to follow. Those kind of men. And I presume. That many of you could share. How it's been a, a joy to follow Brad as your lead pastor. And I want to encourage you, next couple of weeks, to share that with him. To share that with Katie, how they've been a blessing to you. Because that's the design that's supposed to bring joy for everyone involved. Share that with your other pastors. Let them know, as they do this work, as you follow them, that you're being cared for and you feel cared for by them. So follow them. Look to them. Take the risk to invite them into your messy life. It's a risk. By the way, we we don't get good soul care if we don't take a risk to let somebody into our life like that. And I'm told this church is pretty good at that. So keep bringing them and take the risk to bring... Your pastor's in to your messy life. Whoever your new lead pastor is going to be, it'll take time to build that trust and all that comes with it, but but take a risk to let that person into your messy life so he can care for your soul. I work with hundreds and hundreds of churches that have one pastor only, and some don't have a pastor at all but you have a plurality here. So take advantage of that and follow them in the days to come. But I want to also encourage you, as you grieve the loss of the bells, to consider how they have impacted you and to share that with them. So that's the first exhortation. Follow your pastors, whoever they will be in the future. Follow them. Number two, trust the chief shepherd. Trust the chief shepherd. Don't miss, let me go back to context of Hebrews. and what. Don't miss the intentionality that the first several chapters is all about lifting up Jesus as the supreme savior and king. And that he's worthy to follow because he is. Notice that's the bulk of the, the letter of Hebrews. And he comes to the end here and he says, by the way, follow your pastors too. So that that command is there, but don't miss ultimately that we're to trust in the chief shepherd. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how gifted your pastors are. It doesn't matter how gifted your next lead pastor will be. They will let you down. They will not do things just right all the time. But Jesus never fails us. He never lets us down. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He is always with us, and for us. Your ultimate allegiance is not to a group of pastors. It's to Jesus. Because He's the one that lived a perfect life and laid down His life for you and me to bear the punishment for our sins and then rose from the grave and then now is at the right hand of God even now. Ruling over the universe. And is the one that we can call upon in any moment. And he hears our cries. And he's always faithful and always there for us. Trust in your Savior. Jesus never fails. He always delivers. You can trust in his plan that's in verse 17. No, and it won't go just right. But you can ultimately trust him that he will be at work and he'll work it all for your good. Because he's that kind of savior and that kind of chief shepherd. Last exhortation for you. Remember, we will be together forever. That is an important perspective here, friends, in the transition. Not just a beloved church member leaving, not just the lead pastor transitioning. This is a temporary home for us. We're We're all working towards the eternal reward that is completely ours by faith in Christ alone. So pastors will come and go. Church members will come and go. Antioch is a sending church. You all know this really well. But hopefully we're mindful of as people are sent and people come and go, that we're still going to spend eternity with those people my encouragement to you is to remember this. Remember that you will be together forever for those who are in Christ. As the bells transition out, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Though you may not see them as much as you have the last six and a half years, you will be in eternity with them forever. And everyone else you've sent out that you miss that aren't here with you because they're serving the Lord around the world, we're going to be together forever. them one day. So as you look at this design, did you notice the internal implications? He says, they will give account for your souls. So in this temporary place, follow your pastors, trust in the chief shepherd, but remember this, this is a temporary home. We will all be together forever one day. So this is God's design for each of you, whether you're a pastor or a future pastor, whether you're a a member of this congregation for a few months or maybe the whole time that this church has existed. This is God's design. Embrace it. Receive it as a unique blessing and joy and embrace the griefs and the sorrows that come with it. And I believe this design is helpful to see in this moment because I assume there's a tension many of you feel now as you feel joy in a lot of ways. For this church and all that God's doing in it and has done. And yet there's a sadness when there's people leaving. Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Grief and joy go really well together in a fallen world. Embrace them through this transition. But my final encouragement to you, Antioch, there's still work to be done. The Lord has been at work here. And the Lord is not done working in this church to reach your community and to reach the nations keep pressing on press forward persevering in your faith in jesus but serve this church faithfully as you move forward in this moment so let me take a moment and pray for you in that way lord i thank you for this these lovely faithful people the way your holy spirit has been mightily at work even just from the beginning until now. So Lord, we trust that you will continue the work you have done here. And I ask, Lord, that you would help each person here to persevere in their own walk with Jesus, and in that, that they would be able to pursue this design that you have indeed created for every church and every age. Lord, bless the leaders in this church as they lead through a transition as they seek to to move this church forward, that you would bless them in ways they cannot imagine. And you would help this church ultimately be gospel light in this community in South Louisville and around the world, all for the sake of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.